Welcome to Beaming Ortilius, a podcast managed by the techies from the Ortilius Open Source Project. We're focused on making microservices easy through a microservice catalog. Learn more at ortilius.io. Thank you very much for joining us on the Ortilius Beaming podcast. And Ortilius is a microservices based implementation is a project listed at the github.com slash Ortelius Ortelius. You can join in and learn more about it. So today is our focus on the microservices, a business agility. And today my guest is Mark Eisenberg. Thank you very much for joining us, Mark. Can you introduce yourself to my audience first, where, where you live from and where you're working currently? Sure, sure, no problem. So I'm coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts and not the Boston area, but actually in Boston. Uh, I work for Microsoft as a developer support account manager. Um, we, we have an offering where customers can purchase uh, support specifically for development issues, which with cloud computing has pulled more and more stuff into that. It used to be kind of like the, the development tools and you know, coding practices and agile, but now it's really all encompassing with cloud technology and DevOps. And uh, just as a kind of a disclaimer, I lay out there at the beginning of all of my talks is I am not speaking for Microsoft today. These are views that I have certainly developed because of my uh, work for Microsoft, but I am in no way speaking officially for Microsoft in any official capacity. I wish. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But thank you very much for joining us in the podcast. So tell us about your microservices and your uh, tell us about uh, uh, what are the previous challenges you face in the organization that are adopting to the microservices-based architecture and who are really new to in this new paradigm of shape. We are always using about the traditional model a lot, a lot. But with the advent of the Kubernetes and the new cloud-native technologies, especially container technologies, so we recently see the move move into the this microservice. We, we, we recently see more and more people, like small startup to the intermediate enterprises to even the larger organization. Everybody is now talking about the microservices, the potential benefits it bring to the table. So tell us about what are the what are the uh, what are the areas, what are the what are the key, key things that you think why people are moving or even talking about microservices today every in every organization. Okay, so why they're doing, well, okay. <laughs> there are two reasons they're doing it. One is the right reason, which is they're trying to gain business agility for their software that they're developing. Because in the end, that's what the software is, is we're automating business processes of some sort or another. And um, the other reason that people adopt microservices and kind of the same as with containers, because it's what you do now. I mean, I, I have asked that question point blank to people, why are you doing this? And they've said, well, because that's what you do. And that's not really a great reason to do it. Um, so in a nutshell, that that's why people are doing it. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And I, one of the fifth, one of the key challenges that I face, like in the previous model, when you look at the traditional model, there are three layers of abstraction. Like we have a business layer, we have an infrastructure layer, we have a coding layer. And people like you, we see in the business model, we don't see a lot of the, the uh, a lot of the uh, like new new way of thinking about the same solution. Like 
we see in 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 in, in today's world like we have new relations coming up like we see a lot of the open source tooling we have we have developer advocate roles within the team we have the open source community managers these are the roles that are, are popping up in the mind and in come to the like topic about the business agility the business model and the microservices based implementation what are the right now the biggest hurdle for everyone if they want to the microservices what are the first thing they face as of today if they are wanting to adopt this uh, uh, new new paradigm um so again that it, it i boil it down it's very simple you have to be open to change yes if you lock yourself into the old patterns and i think that list of layers you just gave me is out of domain driven design isn't it yes absolutely uh, yeah i have some i have some unpleasant opinions about that but it's another topic um if you do not approach this with as you're solving the same problem in a different way then you're wasting your time um i also one of the fascinating things to me about microservice discussions is like well microservices introduce a lot of complexity no they don't the complexity is already there if it's a relevant business problem that we're solving with software and we've built a monolith to, to solve it that is a very complex piece of software what microservices do is change the nature of the complexity and there's that word change that comes into it again so number one thing if you cannot if whether it's you personally or your organization or whatever cannot embrace a new way of doing things a changed way of doing things don't bother just stick with what you know yes absolutely absolutely and and what are the why why feel like talking to the like cncf community and the contestus delivery foundation we mm -hmm. see a lot of these attraction going on like people are coming into these uh, open source foundation open source project learn about their experience share their about experience what they have done what they have done wrong what have they good so we see like is it a good move like we are talking about we have so many folks in the, around the world who can give us the direction to move into the microservices or, or on, on the microservices based technologies but is 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 it do, do you think it just just a technological change or it's a mind shift or it's a cultural change as well like you have previously you have just one container of box where everybody is reciting their code and start thinking about it you have a whole a whole area of whole your business tactics are in just a one box but now you are your agility or your uh, all the are 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 reside in a different box and they can talk to each other to the try to the point i'm trying to make here like you do you think it's just a technological change or you just need to adopt some other things like you have a this kind of uh, culture in the company you have to set new cultural shifts or you have to bring up the new learning technologies within your companies or you bring up the new enthusiasts who are just learning about microservices uh, microservices based architecture so is this is it just a cultural change technological change or is just bridge bridge the gap both of both of them uh so that's a bunch and there's no yes or no so let me let me do a couple things here so culture i've come to realize recently that culture is actually an emergent property um it's a big topic in devops uh what i call the devops industrial complex is has a big focus on uh on this topic and you can't compel cultural change 
You can only create an environment where it can happen. Okay. Now, in with DevOps, and I've just learned recently that actually a proper full-fledged DevOps uh, implementation actually requires what is referred to as a loosely coupled architecture, which microservices are really the latest, but by no means the first. Um, you know, let's we can go back to service-oriented architecture. We can talk about web services. We can go back to the 70s and look at all of the distributed computing concepts that were being introduced that we simply didn't have the technology to execute on them at the time. Um, and we got very much into a lather, rinse, and repeat um, architectural practice uh, going back that far. I've actually wrote a blog post on how we really haven't changed up what we're doing um, for, um, for more than 50 years on how we're doing these patterns. Um, is it a technology-only impact? Um, mostly. It's not black and white, but you know, when you're talking about the architecture of software, that's basically a technology issue. And microservice, the microservice is really, we talk about microservice, it's really the microservice architectural pattern. It's the kind of the formal name for it, right? Um, and it came from uh, what I am starting to call now uh, new enterprises. So the Netflixes, the Facebooks and the like, as opposed to traditional enterprises. Um, which are very much more into the monolithic three-tier architecture. By the way, nominally three-tier was supposed to be loosely coupled as well. Uh, that just kind of fell off. That just never really happened, but it could have, it just didn't. Um, so let me pause there. I think I covered everything you set up um, about culture and technology. Yes, absolutely, absolutely, mostly. And uh, I, the, the the point, like you, you did, broke a wonderful point. Like you, you did all the same things on the previous layer of things, but people doesn't really realize that, that uh, realize that that we can do these kind of stuff. But it, it, but what I see, I think a lot of the questions that I uh, people are talk to the small startups, some small business oriented. Uh, Cultures like they just just because all of the most of the business is good with the advent of the technology the Kubernetes and the container technologies that the people are moving uh, investing more of the time on uh, on containers and learning about how these orchestration layers work on these but we never have these kind of orchestration layer in the past so tell uh, so do do one is a how the business like is business needs some kind of orchestration layer on itself as well like we harm to term the coin orchestration in the technological space but the orchestration like we have so many people so many uh, people uh, clients and businesses working in a different geographical location working with their different area of uh, separation of different area of concern is we is the business like a startup need some kind of because they think they ask me that this model is very complicated for us like we need to uh, 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 we need to give the people that their hands on how they can uh, write the code write the strategies for it how they can interact with it how the communication patterns look like it how the logging how the infrastructure reside in it, reside in it and uh, what are the different what are the different limitations uh, uh, do you think like uh, if some startup is just jumping right onto the microservices architecture and just knowing very little about it 
And if you start doing implementation, all of the business using the latest microservices technologies, what do you think? What happened to them? Like, is it is it a good shift for them, or they can wait and watch? Like, you can migrate their traditional knowledge, migrate existing what they already learned about that building the software, and then migrate into the microservices architecture. Okay, so that was okay. So I saw there were two topics there. Let me make sure I got them. So one is about whether business processes are reinvented with this technology shift, um, and then whether startups should leverage this or not. So, um, yes, business process one is easy. Technology enables new ways of, of exercising business process, but business process is a business thing. I've often I've said for years and years what differentiates two different companies who are in the same market is their business process. And I'm very much opposed to the idea of technologists kind of waiting in there to tell them what they can do. We need to educate them that you have these new capabilities now because of this technology. Um, but then really, if you listen to that conversation a lot, what the business wants from us is to deliver better, uh, you know, basically high quality software faster. That's what they want. They want their business value and they want it faster and they want it to be good. Uh, anybody who uses the web these days probably knows that we're kind of failing on the good part um, because as uh, there was a, <laughs> a presentation at Microsoft once, this was years ago, and the guy says, the point of continuous delivery is not to deliver more bugs to production faster, right? <laughs> and so, um, so that's the business side of it. We enable things, but we don't have the expertise to drive it and we should collaborate there, but stay out of it. On the startup question, and it's out there a lot. Um, and by the way, all of the major new enterprises like Netflix, Facebook, Google, Amazon, I'm reading the DevOps handbook, can you tell? Um, <laughs> that they all started with monolithic applications. And a point was made that I was just listening to that you should start with a monolith and then, but jump on the treadmill and be prepared to continuously evolve it, okay? What I've seen with a lot of companies is they build the monolith in their cloud facing, their, their um, web facing, and then they're successful and demand surges. They didn't architect for scalability. They have no way to do it. In the worst case scenario, you die at that point. So sure, you prove there's a market for your product and then you couldn't serve it. I think it's worth the extra effort. That's my opinion that you should architect for success. And yes, I know lean and all that kind of stuff has you get the idea out there and and uh, and see if there's a, a place for it and then iterate like crazy. You can do that. Doesn't work for me. Um, I do think that microservices is not so radical. And as it turns out, that a loosely coupled architecture is key to successful DevOps. You may as well just jump on the bandwagon up front. It's not that hard to start with it unless you're so well-versed in the old ways of doing things, it just doesn't come natural to you. So that's that's my thinking there. If you're planning to build something big, plan for your business to be successful and go ahead and do a scalable architecture, which today largely means microservices. Oh, one other comment, you mentioned uh, Kubernetes and everybody's doing this. Kubernetes is, is an infrastructure play. It is a way of orchestrating containers. Um, Again, I mentioned I'm reading the DevOps handbook now, and there was a case study involving containers. And it was very clear the whole focus of the containers was 
ops, 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 ops. And if you look at the history of containers, actually, they were created by developers to solve a packaging problem. Um, so there is there's an, a, an excessive emphasis on the operational aspect of containers that completely overlooks the the value that it brings to really the entire DevOps story, um, you know, and a modern way of, of deploying architecture that really starts on the developer's desktop. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And a uh, wonderful, wonderful point that you all mentioned during the, the, the during the conversation. Like what I see, like people are previously talking about that we are adopting the microservices architecture. Previously, my code is written in the one box. I have more security over it. Now I distributed my system to the different layers of the box. And how do I able to secure the communication between the microservices, like how microservices A can talk to e, microservices B, and the communication between them is mutually encrypted and nobody knows what happened between these conversations. And we see previously in the KubeCon, like the supply chain security has come up and it's solving that kind of analogy, how the uh, your code is going from, from your kit commit to the production all the way save. And now the latest Kubernetes 1.24 release, you can even uh, uh, you can even check your distribution that you're using in Kubernetes or is it secure or not. So I think uh, all the pieces eventually solve what we have some kind of uh, uh, customization available as of today, whatever we want to do in the microservices today. But, but let, but yeah, so let's talk for a second there about the past versus the present, okay? Everything you just yeah. described about having Kubernetes and adding capabilities to Kubernetes, which is an infrastructure play, is exactly how we've been doing things for the last 50 years. The infrastructure, basically, developers build whatever they want. They throw it over the so-called wall. And IT is responsible for making it secure and performant, okay? I actually have an analogy I use. If you build a house, and leave off the front door. And then you build this whole security gauntlet in the front yard to go out to the gate to the street to keep people from getting to the front door. How about we just build a front door? And so authenticated APIs, which in a microservice architecture, everything's an API. You know, you have to present a token to the service when you want to call it to say, are you who you say you are? And am I allowed to talk to you? And what am I allowed to do? And everything gets really straightforward at that point. I asked somebody last week, I said, are you aware of, um, this was a VP of engineering for an airline. I said, are you aware of any man in the middle attacks? And he said, yes, yes. And I went like, really? And he goes, well, no, I know what it is. And I'm like, sure. And he's like, but have you ever heard of one actually happening? Okay. But think about the amount of effort that we put in trying to prevent that extremely narrow use case when we all know the real security problems are unauthenticated APIs, unpatched operating systems, and passwords stuck on sticky notes on the front of somebody's terminal, okay? Not to mention just the hostile sysadmins because they have access to the whole system. So all of that fanciness and in infrastructure in, in Kubernetes, to my mind, is largely unnecessary unless you're practice, you're still steeped in the old practices. I do that, and I'm also hearing stories about, well, developers don't want to deal with security. Too bad. You know, the, the, the reality is um, it's a team effort. That's what DevOps really is. And, and, and it's 
just because we've been making the infrastructure team, the InfoSec team, responsible for security does not mean that that is the only way the security problem can be solved. So I'll pause there. That's absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely. I totally agree with what you just said. Like we 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 usually deal some of the complexity that we don't able uh, we don't able to think about it mostly. Like it, these are the wonderful points you're thinking to us. And also the topic of, uh, before before we conclude our all the conversation. Like uh, one of the one of the business like when we started, how should we restructure our teams? Like is it the same structuring of the team that we've done in the past decade ago? Or we need to restructure our team while moving to the microservices-based uh, solutions. So I'm going to give you an enterprise answer to that, traditional enterprise, okay? Because I think it's a bridge too far to say we need to take dev and ops and smoosh them all into the same team. And by the way, we went through an exercise like that early on um, at Microsoft with one of our major database products where we took all of the ops teams and we moved them over into dev. We lost about 70% of them because they didn't want to do that. And our DevOps effort was, was extremely nascent. Um, so that is a really huge effort. And I and we were committed. We came from our CEO who basically says, you have to do this. Figure it out. Okay. Most companies do not have their CEOs telling them that you have to do this. And you know, you're trying to do process improvement. So ideally. Devin, you know, you wind up with your ops people embedded in your product teams. That's the ideal way to do it. It's probably not realistic in most enterprises, but I do think you should not create a separate DevOps team that doesn't really solve the problem of Dev and Ops not collaborating. In fact, it just creates a new wall between them. Um, so there are a variety of patterns you can get into, organizational patterns for having ops be involved in architecture so that, for instance, the, the application architects understand what needs to be built into the application so that the operations team can probably monitor uh, the application once it reaches production. There's an impact to the application architecture if you want to be able to do rapid deployments frequently. You know, and operations has needs there. The developer, arch the architecture has needs there, and, and these need to be considered together. That, I think, is realistic in the enterprise, assuming the enterprise truly understands the DevOps journey that they're on and the level of change that they need. So I don't know if that clearly answered your question, but that's kind of my talk track these days. No, it, it, it just gave me a wonderful insights about uh, how, what are the possible lay how you can lay down the structure while you are doing this kind of solution so before i let you go the last few questions like we see in the application like when we have a we build out some observability on top of our application layer to see mm -hmm. how my application behaves how much its cpu uses how much its ram uses and how it's behaving in naturally in production and for the business point of view when you build out some your info, when you build out your own business, what is your observability in business? Can you draw some point? What are the key factors you look at it and enable to tell yourself and tell you the company that you are moving into the uh, good direction or a bad direction? But it's really two separate sets of metrics as to whether you're having success. And if I understand the question correctly, whether these technology tools that we're talking about actually enable 
the business to see if it's being successful in the market. You can get indicators of when you're about to get in trouble in the market, for sure. Um, there was a story when Gap uh, originally moved to the cloud and they did it wrong. Um, it wasn't scalable. Their marketing team put out a um, some sort of campaign and everybody showed up on the site and the site just collapsed. And unfortunately, what didn't collapse was their feedback site, the forum. And the quote that really caught with me, stuck with me, all those years ago, this was 2011, I think. Um, this is my first time to the site. I'll never be back. So the business can learn from that for sure. And then, but to your point, of, uh, and there is actually an impact there. It is really important for the technology team to understand that the marketing team is going to do that. And that's a requirement that they want to do that. Um, one of my early successes was a, a company they had a website behind a very well-known um, URL that went into all of the Lowe's flyers, all 50, 50 million Lowe's flyers, I think, every weekend. And their marketing camp, their marketing team was actively working to get people to click on that URL. And they had three servers standing behind that URL. So if the marketing team was successful, this was going to die. And fortunately, their IT director realized that. And he actually did move and re-architect into the cloud with some bumps. Uh, he didn't remember a couple of things I said in a conversation about this is going to be hard. Everybody likes to talk. Moving to the cloud is easy, but it's not. So those are kind of the things that, again, technology can enable the business to have insights uh, that they're getting in trouble to. But then their obligation is to provide their requirements effectively to, and that, that's a non-trivial requirement right now that you're trying to generate traffic in the millions to a URL, they need to provide that to the tech team early. And then the ops guys will probably pick up on that more of a problem than the dev guys will early on. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Wonderful insights. And another, uh, we have five, four, five more minutes left, so we can, uh, right. uh, can give us some final question to throw in. So well, uh, we see in the, in the tech world, we use all of the buzzword and the buzz analogies and the, everybody is talking to them. So how do we educate them? Like we we see in the in the in some of the organization that I talk to them, they can do is in a way that they can build out a one separate team that move on, learn new technologies and can talk to the dev team about it. That we have discovered discover a new tool into it and new tool. It how should we can incorporate this like. We have the same, like, the question, it's a question about how do we migrate our existing knowledge of what we already have learned and moving into the microservices-based architecture. So how it should be important for everybody listening to us and have they coming from that phase that they have a different teams, they can build out another team that work on the different tools that different, uh, different technology that exists today. And they can talk to the team who are working on the feature, feature set. So we can elaborate. We have some existing knowledge of what we already have learned. And we have a mm -hmm. new team that, that are understanding and learning new, uh, new technologies. How should how this is, is important? I see a lot of the organization they can, in in the CNCF landscape or the CDF landscape. They're talking to, to about this story that we have built this kind of mindset in our in, in our culture, and we get, we gain greater amount of success in in moving to the newest technologies. So you're asking me about tools and versus yeah, process. 
Yeah, so, absolutely. Just, yeah, so years and years ago, I came up with this one-liner that the invention of the pneumatic framing nailer did not make better carpenters. It meant you could deliver really bad product much faster. I built a house 20 years ago and they cut the wood wrong and then they used the pneumatic nailer to just put a lot of nails in to hold it together. Um, that's that's not the goal. So I tend not to focus on tooling at all. I try to keep it out of the, uh, the process. Um, and I certainly don't get into tooling until much later in the process because it's a top down. You need to create that environment where these changes can happen. You need to, and I cannot emphasize this enough, really, really work to understand the change that you're doing, not chase the latest shiny object, okay? Whether you need to bring consultants in to do that, if you bring consultants in or your vendors, um, who, you know, number one, tell your vendors what you want to hear. You don't want to hear about their tools and tell them they're not going to make any money on you until you figure this out the right way. And, but bring somebody in who is an expert in the topic and then listen to them. Don't argue with them. Listen to them, what they're trying to teach you. And if they're not teaching you, demand that they teach you. And then at that point, you'd kind of need to plan out your journey. So this is a dynamic process. There's no one way to do it. There are lots of variables. You have an existing organization. You try to move from where you are to this new place, which means you need a new, a clear vision of where you want to be. And then you need to figure out how you're going to evolve to actually be there. So that's what I said. So you, you said the tooling word, so I had to jump on it. Sorry. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, actually, I'm asking the same question, like if, if, that you draw, like you have to, to evolve as the time possesses and you need to have to be a change, need to be have a learning in your passion of learning new uh, new way of thinking, solving about the existing problem right. or newer problem. And so also, that's a yeah, let me add, there's no such thing as all or nothing, even though everybody does all or nothing, okay? Yes. There, in fact, in a large company, your best thing to do is carve out a team that can think like a startup, to your earlier point before, small team with a well-defined thing. And it can be a big thing uh, that they tackle, but they, they are often, they are sanctioned to do things in the new way, in the proper way. And they've gone through the process of understanding what it is they're trying to do. And then how to, and then once they've proven it can be successful in an organization, they can figure out how to bring more people along to it. Yes, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So I really like the conversation because in a very shorter, shorter words, you explain wonderfully well for me at least to understand all that you, you have said. So we are, uh, we hope to have you again in the future as well for these these critical point of point of time. I've never done this business kind of thing before in the podcast previously, but is, is it a, everybody's talking about? I mean, hope and thank you very much. You can join in and talk about on this criti criticality of the business model and the modern architecture that we are really facing to it as of today. So before I let you go, what are your current what are your extracurricular activities beside beside these being technologies when you have free how you spend your time and uh, what are your yeah. main area of interest yeah no mostly i most a lot of my free time is spent studying things other than technologies i'm fascinated with geopolitics i study a lot of history um, in fact i have a friend who's a, a historian by training he's actually in it now um 
but he we were had a discussion just this weekend about this idea of the traditional enterprises versus the new enterprises because for a long time that conversation was well is netflix an enterprise no i didn't think they were i think they are now because we managed to come up with the distinction between what we meant by an enterprise and these new enterprises so that's say you know i spent a lot of time doing that and then of course i try to get outdoors and hike and i'm getting old so i'm trying to stay fit oh i do uh, as long as you've thrown open the uh, the doors like that huge fan of physical fitness in virtual reality um the, the programs that are available particularly for the uh, for the meta headset are really amazing got me through covid and uh still at it yes absolutely absolutely so it's really mandatory right now to do some of the traveling and maintain your fitness because you are always sitting in the chair and talking to people in all world yeah. so you need some kind well, of standing <laughs> <laughs> absolutely 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 so that that's another way of maintaining your health and fitness yep. so absolutely so that's really critical for everyone like you know, the visual world is traveling is very low the you don't don't have you just stuck in the home side you have to maintain your health and mind and body to do that so thank you very much martin more won't take much of your time but really enjoyed the conversation with you hope to see you again in the future as well I'm talking about when i know more about business and give give you some more questions to talk about it so everyone who listening to us on the telius podcast hope you enjoyed the conversation so everybody who wanted to be in the open source community otelius go to the github.com/otelius/otelius and find a repository and if you are wanted to collaborate or with us or want to be an open source contributor we are happy to have you in our community go to the otelius website and go to the and join our discord channel today hope to meet you again in the Ortelius or in the Ortelius podcast. Thank you everyone for joining us today. Hope to meet you again. Bye-bye. Stay safe and stay healthy everyone.